If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. I'm Justin Mapes, and I will be leading uh, worship this morning. Uh, Reverend Dr. Lori is away on a trip with Colin, celebrating their 15th wedding anniversary, and we'll be back in a few days. I know many of us are like 15 years. Really? That long? She kind of expressed that as well when I talked with her. (laughs) Please help me give a warm Mayflower welcome to our guest preacher, Reverend Jonathan Drummond. Reverend Dr. Drummond is a native of a native Oklahoman with degrees from both Oklahoma State University and the OU College of Medicine. He is currently appointed to the ministry incubator of Isle of School of Theology in Denver, Colorado, where he previously earned his Master of Divinity. In this new ministry setting, Jonathan is gathering a collective of spiritually minded folks committed to extending God's grace beyond the boundaries of the often that are often imposed by the church. The ministry, Grace Out Out of Bounds, is being designed to support both individuals and faith communities alike as they commit to reflecting God's grace to others in tangible yet reimagined ways. For the life and ministry of Jonathan Drummond and his presence with us today, let the people say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, the kids return to school this week. New schedules begin and familiar activities resume. And while the weather is still very much summer, our planning has shifted to fall. The wisdom writer of Ecclesiastes declared that there is a time and a season for every activity under heaven. And we wonder, when does the season of peace and justice arrive? When does the season of tears of mourning turning into joy begin? When do nations turn swords into plowshares? When we pause our thoughts of longing, we again hear your still small voice. You remind us that change begins with us. You remind us that peace must be actively waged. You remind us that if we want to walk on water, we have to step out of the boat. 
O loving God, help us remember each day as an opportunity to be the change we wish to see in the world. May you grant us the strength to be that change. Amen. Well, good morning, Mayflower, and welcome to any guests worshiping with us or online today. Um, as a way of introduction, my name is Jonathan Drummond, and I am a lifelong Oklahoman. Uh, and I serve in the United Methodist Church uh, as a local licensed pastor. For the past two years, I've been at Mosaic United Methodist Church here in Oklahoma City that many of you know. And during those years, I came to really appreciate the ministry that you, the folks of Mayflower, have in our city, our state, and the world at large because you have been advocating and encouraging those who are on the margins. I currently serve in the Mountain Sky Conference, um, which is of the United Methodist Church in Denver, where I am developing a ministry that is not unlike the ministry of Mayflower, one that focuses on the, its energies to reach out to those on the margins that some inside the church have traditionally pushed outside the bounds of its grace. And like you, I'm reflecting and extending the grace of God to others no matter where they are along life's journey, and remind them that they are already a welcomed part of God's beloved community. So I am so happy to be worshiping with you this morning, and it is my privilege to be among you. I would now like to read uh, the scripture text for today, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, shortly after the series of parables that Pastor Lori Walkie preached on two weeks ago out of chapter 13. If you remember, those were the parables about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed or yeast or a hidden treasure or a net. But in Matthew's next chapter, Jesus gets some bad news. Jesus learns of the murder of John the Baptist. And the Bible tells us that Jesus withdraws to a solitary place. And that is something Jesus does often. He tends to do that in times of crisis, but the crowds follow him and he begins to teach them and, and, and they get hungry. And so he feeds them, miraculously feeding the 5,000 men plus all the women and the children. And it's right after that miraculous meal that today's scripture picks up. So let me read that now for us. Coming from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, including verses 22 through 33, hear now these words. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by that time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from land. The wind was against them. And early in the morning, while it was still dark, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Yet Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind... He became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, 
you are the Son of God. Here ends the reading inspired by our tradition. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. Well, when I was a young boy growing up in Hominy, Oklahoma, I was the third son born into a ranching family over a span of four years. God bless my mother for having three boys that quickly. <laughs> I do have a younger sister uh, who came along later, and the four of us spent our young lives growing up in the same farmhouse that our father and his siblings had grown up in. And all six of us, growing up through the 60s and 70s, shared one bathroom. I'm sure several of you can relate with that. You really get to know your siblings. <laughs> but what is fascinating growing up in a family of four children is to realize how different that we can be from one another. I am sure that everyone in here today can think of the different characteristics which helps define each of their siblings. There may be the fearful sibling, or there might be the cautious one, the thoughtful one, the book smart one, the one always got in trouble, the quiet one, the loud one. I saw some hands being raised in the back. But there is one sibling whose personality always has to learn their own life's lessons the hard way. For instance, and I cannot verify if this is a true story or not, but if my older brother accidentally touched a hot stove at our grandmother's house and burned himself, not to be too specific, my second brother, uh, might not believe that the stove is actually hot and he would have to go over and touch it himself just to make sure it was indeed hot. You might know those people. I, on the other hand, never did that. I learned well to observe the actions and experience of my brothers and others and I would have steered clear of that very hot stove. There is another type of personality found in many families, and that personality is the daredevil personality. And I bet there's some in the room as well. And I see another hand go up in the balcony. Yes, the impetuous one, the one who jumps into activities with two feet, fearlessly charging forward, taking on the world's challenges, quick to react and make their presence large in any room in which they enter. Uh, that was not me either. I'm someone who suffers from what some people may call the paralysis of analysis. I was a late bloomer in practically every area of my life, and I'm often slow to jump into certain circumstances. But today's scripture is not about a late bloomer. Peter is an interesting character who we might call a daredevil, quick to jump in to any situation, often with unintended consequences. Luckily, we who live today in the 21st century have the benefit of being able to read the later chapters of Peter's faith journey and then looking back to see the evolution of Peter's character from the earlier points in his journey. See, Peter is that charismatic, impetuous person who does great things to share the gospel message after Jesus' death. And he helps others along their faith journeys. We learn in the book of Acts, for instance, that this is this Peter who preached with fervor at Pentecost. And 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. That's impressive. That's an impressive preacher. But Peter, the charismatic preacher, is the same Peter who, at the Last Supper, in the upper room, told Jesus, I'm ready to go with you anywhere, Jesus, even to prison, even to death. 
Yet it was Jesus who tempered Peter's enthusiasm and predicted that Peter would actually deny Christ three times over the next few hours, which he did. But, you know, that really shouldn't have uh, surprised us because that's the same Peter who earlier in Scripture, when Jesus was first revealing his plan to his disciples that he was going to be returning to Jerusalem to die and suffer for his fulfillment of his earthly ministry, that Peter literally, literally took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Peter had been expecting Jesus not to die but to triumph and establish a messianic kingdom here on earth. Now that's some chutzpah to actually chastise Jesus, but that's what Peter did. This same Peter that is certainly more like a firstborn and not a thirdborn. But Peter had missed the point entirely. He was caught up in his own impetuosity. That was when Jesus sternly stopped Peter in his tracks with that famous quote, get behind me, Satan, right? That's the same Peter. So as a late blooming third-born person, these pretty self-assured claims that Peter keeps making repeatedly causes me to feel a little queasy in my stomach, just thinking about saying something so harsh or brash. But what we see in today's lesson is Peter, who is emotionally all in for Jesus, and that's admirable. We want to be like that, Peter. We learn from today's scripture reading that while the crowd was still eating, Jesus sends his disciples away to sail across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee so that when the crowd finally disperses, Jesus can go back to what he originally was trying to do, which is to go into a solitary place and mourn his cousin and spend some time in prayer with God. While Jesus was praying that night, while it was still dark, you know, the raging storm arose on the lake where the disciples were. And the disciples were becoming more and more afraid. And to add insult to injury, they saw something that looked like a ghost or a spirit walking toward them on water. But luckily, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I'd like to clarify at that point, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, it's your old friend, it's your pal, Jesus, I'm coming your way. But if we had a more literal translation, it would be, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. When the Hebrew Bible was being translated into the Greek about 300 years before Jesus' time on earth, the translators used the phrase ego ami. Ego ami. In Exodus chapter 3, when God names God's self, I am, when he was speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. And that was a, not the normal twist of a phrase. Those two don't go together in conversational Greek. It's a definitive double reference to himself. And so that same phrase, even though, and we see the great I am statements in the Gospel of John, but that was the same phrase that's used in this Gospel, and it's one of those moments when Jesus is self-referring in the same way that God had self-referred and was probably making a theological claim of some kinship with God. So when Jesus announces who he is, the disciples are relieved. 
But there's that impetuous Peter again, right? He pushes the envelope and he yells from the boat, Hey, Lord, if it's you, really, command me to come out on the water with you, right? And Jesus does that. He says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on water to Jesus. All is going well, miraculously, until he notices the strong wind and he becomes frightened. You notice that it's when he took his gaze off of Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves that he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, this scenario, if you'll go with me, can be applied to us in our own chaotic experiences in this world now today in 2023. When our activities are in alignment and all is going well, We may have the luxury of being able to focus our attention on God. Maybe on a Sunday morning, all is well. But just like Peter in this story, we are often in the midst of chaos, and we take our focus off God, and we begin to feel unsure or even afraid. And during those times, do we cry out to God for help, or or do we tend to try to overcome our own chaos by ourselves with our own strategies? What I love about today's scripture is that Jesus doesn't try to teach Peter an object lesson. He does not throw doctrine at him. He does not make him suffer needlessly, nor does he try to put the fear of God in him. What does he do? Jesus just reaches out and rescues him, pulls him right up. Jesus does make a statement at the time. He says, you have little faith to Peter. We know Peter has a lot of faith. But he says, you have little faith. This happens to be the same phrase that Jesus uses when he calms the storm in an earlier story. If you remember the story about Jesus being asleep on the boat and there was chaotic storms up above and the, the disciples were on deck fearful and he comes out and he calms the sea. And the disciples on that story say, who is this guy? Who is this person who can calm the wind and calm the sea? They didn't really know who he was. They couldn't see him as one with God at that time. Yet in today's reading, after Jesus claims the name, I am, the disciples respond with a question, not with a question, but rather, Scripture says, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That's a completely different response to encountering Jesus this time. When I hear this story, it sounds as if Peter was full of faith when he got out of the boat, but as soon as he lost his focus on Jesus, his faith wavered, and he began to sink. When he took his eyes off the goal of following Jesus, things didn't go as planned. Things can change in the blink of an eye. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's novel, The Screwtape Letters, and you may know these, uh, this book, although I find it actually very difficult to read C.S. Lewis. Um, this satirical writing in the screw tape letters really kind of got me hooked. You might want to read it. Um, there's a concept from the book that has stayed with me for several decades now. It's one of my go-to. And that concept is, we learn from the letters that, that there's only one point in time that intersects with eternity. Only one. And that point is now. The present. We humans at this very moment, this very moment right now, 
not a month ago, not a week ago, not even ten minutes ago, is where we can experience eternity. If in the midst of chaos, no matter where we are or what we're doing, if we can become present in the moment, we can regain our focus, we can experience the divine, and we are to live in the present as a way of life. Additionally from that book, um, which is a series of letters between an uncle and his nephew, the demon uncle, Screwtape, is writing to his nephew, the younger demon named Wormwood, instructing him on how to trip up a human. Wormwood has been assigned to corrupt, like demons do, this person. A key tactic in this corruption scheme is to make the human think that, about anything. Make the human think about anything but the present. The younger demon doesn't have to make the human sin in a big way. He just needs to have the human take their eyes off the present. Since if the human starts to think about the past, there can be regret or sadness of how things were done and how they might have been different. And if the demon can get the human to look slightly into the future, there can be fear or anxiety about the way things may or may not work out and keeps us humans from remaining focused on the present, where we get to interact with eternity, where we get to interact with the divine. So it seems that it's not just storms that can cause us to lose our focus. Dwelling on the past or worrying about the future are just as problematic as facing a storm on a lake while in a small fishing boat. Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish theologian from the 1800s, and he mused, faith is paradoxical in that it involves the belief in the possibility of the impossible. It's a beautiful thing about faith. What is faith? It's pretty nebulous. We each experience our faith in our own different ways. I don't have a corner on the market of faith. Mayflower doesn't have a corner on the market of faith. None of us do. Faith is having the trust in something despite the lack of rationality. And that is why it's so hard to truly define and grasp. We read in Scripture out of Hebrews chapter 11 that says, Now faith is a confidence in which we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. But that is a target which is hard to describe to someone else. I wonder if we should be focusing more on faithfulness, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that seems to be in response to faith. So we have faith, but we also have faithfulness. So I leave you with this challenge today. Is our ultimate goal to actually achieve or have or maintain faith in midst of chaos? I wonder. Or is having faith or developing faith, or achieving faith, just the beginning, just the beginning of our walk, just the key that unlocks our ability to actually live our lives like a follower of Christ in response to the faith we proclaim, aligned with the teachings of and in according to Christ's truth. So this next step seems to me, at this point in my personal journey, to be extremely motivating. Faith, as defined in Hebrews, resides in one person, in their mind or in their heart. But in faithfulness, 
We see a fruit of the Spirit, which is an actionable item, a visible response. I believe that we are to emulate the faithfulness of Christ as we live out our own faith. So we end today where we started today, talking about and reflecting about reflecting and extending the love and grace of God to all of God's beloved community. Mayflower, as a collective, and all of us individuals can remember that it is in Christ that we live and move and have our being. And we do that best by embracing the eternity in the present moment where we can embrace the divine. Godspeed, my friends. It's in the name of God, the Creator, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.